Craig was um, a very close friend um, for the last 20 years. Um, when we moved to Dallas, uh, Greg and Kelly, uh, we got to know them through church. And, um, and early on, um, they had uh, some conflict at one point, and they called us up and said, hey, can you come basically be the mediator. Um, and then over time, we, we moved out close to them. Uh, so they were kind of our neighbors, and uh, he and I would grab coffee at least once a week and or breakfast or something like that. And then um, uh, I began coaching small group leaders in our church, and, and he became a small group leader. And uh, and so then I got the, the opportunity to meet with him and kind of coach him on how do I do this next thing. And then as we went to plant a church in Los Angeles, uh, Greg and Kelly financially supported us for, I think, seven years. Um, and, um, uh, and then over these last number of years, it's been amazing. They started a ministry at Watermark Community Church in Dallas called Kaleidoscope. And Kaleidoscope was a, a ministry for parents with special needs kids because Greg and Kelly have three kids that are on the autism spectrum and um, in kind of varying degrees of, of problems that they have. Um, and so it was, uh, it was hard to get the news. Uh, I had to walk out of the office a couple of times to compose myself. And, and um, that night, as I was walking uh, up, I was on the top of the parking structure and I was walking towards my car and I was just praying. And I said, Lord, what comfort do I offer Kelly and the kids in death? And it was amazing in just a moment. Um, the, the, what came to my mind was a catechism I never learned. Um, I had read it in seminary, uh, but the Heidelberg Catechism says, what is our only comfort in life or in death. And it basically, I remember, I, I kind of bullet pointed in my head, I remembered the four things, that I am not my own, that I've been bought with a price, that God preserves me, and that ultimately the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that one day he will redeem me completely. Um, let me read it to you. What is my only comfort in life and in death? That I'm not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins. And with his precious blood, he has set me free from all the power of the devil. He preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. And by his Holy Spirit, he assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. I... I found a great deal of comfort in those words this week. And it's, it's funny, um, we learn things and we learn them for a time that we need them, right? I mean, how many times have you knelt to pray and thought, Lord, I don't even know how to pray. And God begins to prompt you with something you've recited in church. Our Father who is in heaven holy be your name, right? And, and you go, man, I've learned that. But you start praying through it because you don't even have words to pray. And those are the words that he gives you to start with. We, we learn things for when we need them. Um, like sometimes it's grossly practical things, right? Uh, you learn CPR as a teenager and then you have a toddler and one day he's choking on his Cheerios and you just grab him around the middle and grab the trash can with the other side and go, Poof! and you know, like you, sometimes the things that we learn are, are, necessary for kind of our spiritual well-being. Sometimes it's for our physical well-being. But the whole point of learning is that we actually can, in the moment we need it, come up with that information, right? Sometimes um, in the moment that 
uh, it's appropriate. You wish that kids wouldn't come up with the information that you've taught them, right? Um, uh, this last week, I, I have a habit of, of the way that I um, interrupt my children. Um, if they're rambling and they're starting to tell a story that looks like it's going to head towards becoming either a lie or an inappropriate statement, I'll just interrupt them and I'll quote Proverbs in a multitude of words, sin is not far. And they've heard me do this a number of times. So the other night, Tanya is reading to them uh, the creation account and how God um, called Eve woman because she was taken out of man. And I was just walking through and I interjected, I had called her barbecue because she was made out of ribs. And my three kids, like they had rehearsed it, they, in unison, in a multitude of words, sin is not far. Um, sometimes that, those, those things that you learn, they come out at like the most inopportune time, right? Um, but the whole point of learning is um, that we learn to use this information. How many times when you were in high school did you sit there in your math class or, and go, when am I ever going to need this, right? Why? Because you understand intuitively that the things we learn are for a reason. I sat next to a guy my first semester in seminary, and he was a new Christian. He, he became a Christian in June, enrolled in seminary in August. And he was like, I'm going to learn this stuff. And, um, and I was in, I think, four or five classes with him. And the professors got so tired of him because they would be talking about something, and then he would raise his hand, and they'd say, Chad? And he'd say, yeah, um, how is this going to help me love Jesus more? <laughs> um, and, and it was like, that was what he was there for. He was trying to figure out, like, what do I need to know about the Bible to know God so that I can love Jesus more? And, and the point of learning is that we are able to do something with what we learn. 1 Corinthians 8 says that knowledge puffs up but love builds up, right? So we know that if, if we're just trying to learn, if we're just trying to fill our heads with knowledge, we are doing that. Essentially, we're, we're, we're driven by our arrogance and pride. We just want to show what we know. And so the point of what we learn from God, what we learn about Christ, what we learn from the scriptures is that we learn to obey. It's why in Matthew 28, when Jesus is giving um, his command to go into all the world, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey, right? He doesn't just say teach them, proselytize them, disciple them. He says, teach them to obey. The whole point of being a learner is that you learn to do. You learn to obey. Last week, we started talking about the fact that we have identity in Christ, right? And, and our identity in Christ is that we are a family of missionary servants. And we are called to worship God and to learn to walk in his ways. And, and we're going to be talking all through the book of Ephesians, kind of that, that idea. But the idea is that, that we, when we think about being remade. And, and Ephesians says that we are to put on the new you. And, and a lot of times we think about putting on a new identity and we, we think kind of like, um, uh, you know, pop stars, et cetera, when they try to reinvent themselves, right? Um, it's, it's putting on the new you is putting on your identity. And last week we talked about putting on your identity as family. What does it mean that because God is our father, we are his sons and daughters. And because we are his sons and daughters of God, 
and we are co-heirs with Jesus. We are family together. So what does it look like to live as family? Um, we'll be talking in coming weeks of like, what does it look like? Because the Spirit was given for mission that we are missionaries. Because Jesus is our King that we are servants. What does it look like? Because the Spirit has been given to teach us all things that we are learners. We are learning to obey. And our identity in Christ comes because of who he is. And because of who he is, it defines who we are. And so these things um, ultimately kind of flesh out in what we do. If we teach what we do apart from who we are, then we become legalistic, right? But if we say, because we are missionaries, right? Because Jesus was, was sent on a mission because the Holy Spirit was given for the sake of mission. We are missionaries, and because of that, we call people to believe in Christ. Because we are family together, because we are sons and daughters of God, and we are family with God, then we call people to belong. And so our four Bs, believe and belong and be trained to be strong, like believe in Christ, belong to his body, be trained in truth, be strong in a life of worship, be strong in a life of ministry. All these things come out of who we are. They come out of the fact that we are a a family of missionary servants called to worship God and to learn to walk in his ways. And so um, Ephesians basically lays out this family identity for us. And so we're going to be in it the next several weeks. And, and as I told you last week, we're going to start with kind of the indicative, the indicative. This is indicative of you. This is the truth about you. This is what you need to know about you. Who you are is rooted in who Christ is. Who Christ is is rooted in what God has been doing. And what you do comes out of who you are. And, and and so we go from the indicative to the back of the book and we'll look at the imperative. And the imperative is now start doing this. And if we just teach the imperatives, then you're going to all go out and go, I'm going to try really hard, but it's going to be divorced from what it is you need to know about who you are. And so it's not about trying hard. It's about living from who you are and being obedient as a result of that. So Ephesians chapter one, verse 15 says this, for this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you might know what is the hope from which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills, in, fills all in all. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind. And we were in nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in him. You go, all right, break this down for me. Help me understand what it is that Paul's saying. Well, he starts off and he, he says, hey, I just want to start by affirming you with, with what we talked about last week, about your faith and your love. You are in Christ and you are loving each other. You are, are being family to each other. When he says faith, it, it was an interesting thing because I had read the Heidelberg Catechism this week. Um, uh, it, it brought to mind some, some ways of thinking about faith that I hadn't thought about in a long time. The Heidelberg Catechism breaks out kind of the movements of redemption, that, that we were good creation, and then we fell, and then we needed grace, and then ultimately um, uh, God provided that grace. And we respond, and instead of saying we respond in faith, they say we respond in gratitude. And, and I thought it was an interesting thing because uh, a lot of times I will have discussions with people and they'll say, um, man, I just don't know if I have enough faith. I don't know if I have saving faith. I don't know if, if my faith is enough to do what it is that Christ wants to do in me. And by thinking about faith in terms of gratitude, like we're responding in gratitude gratitude in thankfulness and in worship to the grace that God gives. And you go, if you are experiencing gratitude when you think about grace, when you, if you're experiencing thankfulness and worship in all, when you think about God pouring out his grace to cover the, the sin that, that separated you from him, like if that is your response, that is a response of faith. And so if you're wondering, do I have faith? You go, do you have gratitude? Do you have thankfulness? Do you worship as a result of, of what you know? And so he says, um, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for your saints, I don't, uh, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom. And, and this is where he kind of begins to talk to us about what it means for us to be learners, what it is for us to begin to understand. And he says um, that he uh, prays that we will have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You know, all right, who is the spirit of wisdom and revelation? That is the Holy Spirit. In the knowledge of him having the eyes of your uh, hearts enlightened that you may know. You know, this is why he's saying we have the Spirit. We have the Spirit that our eyes might be open, that our eyes might be enlightened to the truth of his word and that we may know. And the things that he says that, that we should know, he breaks down into two things, the immeasurable greatness of his power and the immeasurable grace that he has given us. Like he uses basically the same words so that we understand that he's about to give us a list that are, that are complimentary, right? Um, and, and so in, in these words that we read, sometimes we, we read into them things that maybe aren't there, right? So when it says that, that um, he has given us the spirit of wisdom, uh, the, the Greek word is Sophia, like little girls named Sophia, right? Uh, but basically it's, it's um, uh, the ability to act prudently because um, of an understanding the truth. Uh, when he talks about revelation, it's, it's to take out of obscurity and to make fully known. Um, knowledge is learned understanding of what is actually and fully knowable. And you think, what is actually and fully knowable about God? Peter said, 
all that we need for life and for godliness we have through our knowledge of him. Where does it come from? It comes from his word. So it's what is actually and fully knowable. And then he says, and I want you to know, to fully possess, to own this, to understand this. And, and he breaks down and he says, um, the immeasurable greatness of his power, in which he lists four things, that you are raised with Christ in verse 20 and seated with him at his right hand. That then it says that, that um, uh, he has worked in you and he has put everything under his feet. And these four things, like um, I want you to know that God in his greatness raised Christ. God in his greatness seated Christ. That God in his greatness worked in Christ and that God in his greatness has put everything under his feet, everything under his rule. And you go, okay, that's amazing. And then you go to chapter two and he's talking about the immeasurable riches of his grace. And he says, God in his grace, verse six, raised us. God in his grace seated us. God in his grace, verse 10, made us his workmanship. God in his grace made us walk in them. He basically parallels Christ was raised and we were raised. Christ was seated and we were seated. God worked in Christ and we are his workmanship created for good works. God put everything under his feet and now we walk. Like who we are is directly tied to who he is. What we do, what we experience is directly tied to what he has experienced. And so as he gives this indicative for us, he basically says, you are in Christ and because you are in Christ, all that is true of Christ is true of you. Wow. Like, I don't think of myself as, as being like Christ. I don't think of myself as everything that's true about Jesus is true about me. But, but Paul wants us to understand that when, when we are placed in Christ, that literally, I mean, if, if, if we had a cup and I had a ball and I stuck the ball inside the cup, it'd be like, the ball is in the cup, right? And those things, things like they are now together. Um, we are in Christ and we are are in him. And because we are in him, everything that defines him now defines us. And so he, he wants us to understand that indicative so that we understand what to do with the imperative. So the imperative in Ephesians chapter five, um, coming from how is it that we, that we live out this idea that we're learners? Because if you look, it says he wants us to know this. It's, it's the spirit of wisdom and revelation has given in knowledge of him that our eyes might be enlightened and that we may know and so he says um, in, in Ephesians chapter five, therefore, here comes the, the imperative, be imitators. This is what you do. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Um, those of you who have raised children, uh, you know what it's like to have your kids imitate you, right? Um, one of the, the like funniest moments I remember when Jason and Joel were only like maybe two, um, uh, back when, when we first had them, Tanya and I had this sleep schedule and, um, and we needed to make sure she got enough sleep. So I would stay up until, I don't know, one or two or something like that. And she would put in earplugs. And, um, and that way she didn't hear them and she didn't feel guilty about the fact that I was taking care of them. They were mine on that one. And then I, when I came in to go to bed, I would wake her up and she would take out the earplugs because the next one was hers, right? And um, so we had 
earplugs laying around. Um, but for like at that time, it was uh, really hip and cool to have like the um, uh, the Bluetooth in your ear all the time. Um, and so dad made a lot of phone calls and their dad had a Bluetooth in his ear a lot. And the kids would find the earplugs and they would stick it in and they would say, I'm going to talk to grandma. And then they'd walk away and they'd just start talking. And it was so cute. It was like super fun. But they were imitating, right? As dearly loved children. Uh, when, when we think about um, imitating, uh, we imitate our parents and our and we become our parents, right? Um, uh, I don't know how many of you, like you start to do something and you realize like, oh my word, I've become my dad, right? Um, my dad, uh, if he was, he had four boys, like I have four boys. Um, and if he was so angry at you that he couldn't remember your name, he would just say, boy. And then you knew that the appropriate thing to do was be at least arm's reach away and have a very penitent look on your face, right? <laughs> and so I, like not terribly long ago, I one of the kids talked back to Tanya and I was like, boy, and I saw him like, and I thought, oh no, I've become my dad, right? Um, and, and so we want to make sure that when it says, like, be imitators of God as beloved children, that we understand that this is kids looking at the best and saying, I want to be like you, daddy, right? Um, and he, he says, so be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. It's interesting, all through in five, uh, chapter five, he, he uses the idea of walking, um, walk in love, walk in light, be very careful how you walk. Um, all of these things, he's using a metaphor, and the metaphor is that we're learning to walk like little babies learn to walk. It is, it is a learned behavior that becomes something that you don't even think about over time, right? We don't think about when we're walking around anymore, except now that we start to get a little old. Like, oh, my hip, you know, like, what's wrong with my soul? of my feet, right? We, we, for years, it was this learned behavior that we don't even think about anymore. Now you go, I start to think about it again. But, but the idea is that we learn to walk and, and uh, he uses that idea as, of walking as th this is what life is like. This is how you live it out. And, and he says, um, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice for God. And so basically he says, look, if you're going to learn um, what it means to, to be imitators of God, it means learning to walk in love. And, and learning to walk in love is two different things. He gives us one, an example. Who, what, what did Christ do to live as an example? He sacrificed himself. And then he gives kind of a negative thing, like a, 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 a don't do this. Um, when we were starting a church in Los Angeles, we had a page and it said who we are. And the first, I don't know, 12 things were like, this is who we are as a church. This is kind of what we're like. This is what we're about. But what we realized is like, it looked like every other church we'd ever seen. And we thought, well, what's different? We're like, well, let's write down what we aren't. And we put down a list of like, here's the things we're not. And we had more people show up at church because they were like, you know, it wasn't until I saw your list of what you're not that I realized, oh, these are my people, right? Um, what he says is there's an example, but then there's also like the, this is what it's not. This is the opposite. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness not, must not even be named among you as proper among the saints. Let no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which is out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you know, uh, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous or is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom. 
It's an interesting thing. He says the opposite of walking in love, the opposite of walking in sacrifice is impurity and immorality. And, and he says impurity and immorality twice. And in the middle of it, he says coarse joking and coarse jesting. It's like, it's the heart of the sandwich. It's like, you go, what, why is that there? Why, why, why is he talking about um, coarse language and, and, and joking and what? It's because if there's impurity in your heart, it comes out your mouth. Like whatever's in you comes out. And so he says, this stuff should not even be named among you. This is the opposite of walking in love. The opposite, the, the, what we should be thinking of is, is how do we sacrifice what it is we think or want um, instead. And then he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are in light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, expose them. And he uses a, a, a literary tool that we don't really use, right? Like we don't write in chiasms. You know, what's a chiasm? I should have paid, in liter paid attention in literature class when I was asking my literature teacher, like, when am I ever going to use this, right? Chiasm, like, if you think about it, the way that an X is shaped and, and there's kind of an arrow going towards the middle. Um, uh, it's like A and A match, B and B match, C and C match, and D, this thing in the middle, is, is essentially like, it's the big point. And so what he says is, don't be deceived personally, expose. Don't be partners and don't take part. Like you were in dark, now you're in light. You are light in the Lord. Like he's, he's making this point that, that you do these things. Even in, in this place, when he's talking about the imperatives, about walking in love and walking in light, he wants us to understand we do this because it's who we are. We are light. It's, it's, the, this is, is part of us learning to walk in love, learning to walk in light. And part of that is understanding that we are light. And so he says, um, uh, walk as children of the light for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but extend, expose them for it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. The, the idea of, of us, um, uh, walking in the light is that there's positives and negatives, right? The the positive or the negative would be um, don't be partners. The positive would be um, that, that instead discern God's will. The negative would be um, don't be deceived or don't be deceived and discern. Don't be partners, but expose. Um, the, the idea of exposing, like I, you do a first read and even some of the commentaries you read, people are like, oh yeah, we expose the darkness, of other people. I don't think it's what it means. Um, we expose our darkness. You go, well, what does that look like? 
Last night, Tanya and I were at a, a fundraising gala for Westside Pregnancy Center and Claris Health Network, which is a, a, a organization that we've supported, I don't know, 14 or 15 years. Um, and they, they help women who are um, trying to figure out what do they do with an unplanned pregnancy? Um, like, what do they do if they have terminated an unplanned pregnancy and they're experiencing guilt and shame and, and depression and things like that? And so uh, this organization helps women who have made uh, some choices or are about to to make some choices. Um, and so we've, we've been part of this for a long time. And um, last night, this, this woman named Jessica got up and Jessica began to tell her story. And she said, um, you know, I grew up in a Chinese American home. Um, we were very shame-based and we were very performance-based. And there, the, my greatest fear in my whole life was that I would let my parents down. And so at 22 years old, when I found out I was pregnant, I thought, I can't tell my parents. I can't tell anyone in my family. I have to try to take care of this myself. And so she told one girlfriend and her girlfriend had been raised in a similar way. And so she said, well, what do I do? And, and, and they decided, all right, Thursday, we're going to go take care of this. And so she went and she had an abortion. And afterwards she felt guilt and shame. She felt isolation. She felt grief. She felt all of these, these things. And the depression didn't go away. It only worsened over time. And so she began to wonder, like, can I ever be free of this? And so um, she had been invited to a gala a couple of years ago, like we went to last night. And nobody knew that, that this was part of her history. But when she showed up and she heard some people, she thought, you know what, I'm going to get into one of those recovery groups. And I'm going to try to figure out, like, how do I get past all of this stuff that I'm feeling? And so she went into this recovery group. And for the first time, she put her darkness in the light. For the first time, she took this darkness and she said, I'm going to put it out here. I'm going to let people see it. And she was surrounded by women who said, me too. That, that's how I felt. And that's what I did. And that was the choice I made. And I'm feeling the same things. And, and the leader leading them through the group was like, and I've been there too. And we're all in this together. And we are, are, are processing this together. And as she began to process it, it was something that she didn't feel like she had to hide anymore. It was something she was beginning to be able to say, you know what? I'm finding redemption um, in this thing that I thought I could only ever find shame in. And so I'm, I want to share with you the redemption that I'm finding. And as she was talking about it, like you could hear the, the Christian undertones, the, the God part of things coming out as, as she was talking about the one who has redeemed her, who has changed her, who has shaped her. Four years later, she's standing on a stage in front of 600 people talking about her darkness, talking about her shame, and it is light for everyone who's in the room. She is now leading groups of women who are going through post-abortion counseling. She is the marketing uh, director for, for Clara's Health Network. Um, and, and she has this story of her life, the darkness has become light. I don't know how many people over the years, Tanya and I have, have gotten to know, but the, we have seen darkness become light. Um, well, we're going to be in Dallas a couple weeks from now because we're going to go to Greg's funeral. And we're going to see several of our friends that are shining lights. They, they are amazing lights of God's grace. But their light now started in darkness then. 
I mean, I remember um, uh, going to a, a prayer service and our friend Don stood up and said, hey, like I've talked to you guys a little bit about the fact that um, I've struggled with same-sex attraction. I'm just going to be completely real. I keep getting arrested in parks because I meet up with men in parks. Um, and it was like, whoa, right? I remember um, uh, Mandy getting up and saying, um, I just can't like come to terms with the shape of my body and I, I don't know like I don't know how to accept me and I'm like on the border of doing something detrimental, right? Um, my dentist saying, um, I'm an alcoholic and um, I've had so many D DWIs that I'm about to lose my practice. Um, and, and as these guys put these things, this darkness into the light, and we began to confess our sins and pray for each other, something happened, something changed. And that darkness was no longer this thing that they felt like they had to hide. They were learning to take their darkness and put it in the light. And when they did that, all of a sudden things started changing. Don leads a recovery group for, for people who are, are struggling like he did. Mandy is a, a, a therapist in the Fort Worth area who helps women who have body issues. Um, uh, you, uh, Kyle uh, went from leading AA groups to starting a ministry in, in his church that, that ultimately uh, helps people recover from alcoholism and drug abuse. And we could go through... Life after life as darkness became light. Our friend Sarah, who was purging um, and stopped and her light now, she helps younger girls who are, and she's a, a school principal and she's helping young girls say, no, you don't have to make that choice, right? Um, we've got friends that have struggled. We have one friend who, he was fired from three different jobs because he was looking at porn on the job. And, and he finally was like, I can't get a job because I can't get a reference because I keep getting fired. And this is the, and, and by putting it in the light and praying, like all of a sudden now that guy is, is part of like, it's been 10 years, 15, 15 years. Um, uh, he's helping other people and going, you don't have to be trapped in this. The, the idea of learning to put things in the light, learning to obey, learning to walk in love, learning, learning to walk in the light, this is why God has given us the Spirit. He has given us the Spirit to enlighten our eyes and to let us know God's great power and His power has raised Christ and seated Christ and put everything under His rule and His grace has raised us and his grace has seated us and his grace has caused us to walk under his rule. And because of that, we can walk in the light. We can learn to walk in the light. God has given you his spirit to bring light to your eyes so that you are a learner and it's part of the new you. And God wants you to know who you are. God wants you to know the knowledge of him and he wants you to learn to walk in the light like they are walking in the light, to be light in the Lord. Matthew chapter five, um, Jesus says it this way. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to the whole house in the same way. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Us learning to be learners. What are we learning? We're learning to obey and we're learning to be light and to be light, it means we put our darkness into the light for others to see because it is the light that makes the glory of the gospel beautiful to other people.